Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. One of our tasks here at the Garden Basics podcast is to make gardening easier for you. And today's guest will explain the benefits to your soil and you if you not only don't rototill the soil, but also limit your digging. Garden contrarian and author Robert Couric talks about how to no-dig your way to your best garden ever. Garden pesticides can be really confusing, especially when several different formulations have the same brand name. Our in-house college professor, Debbie Flower, talks about the importance of reading and following label directions now more than ever. Soon, if not already, you're going to be harvesting more from your garden than you know what to do with it all. How about feeding the hungry with all those extra tomatoes, zucchini, peppers, and peaches this summer? We talk with the founder of AmpleHarvest.org, which is connecting overwhelmed gardeners with local food pantries who want your extra fresh fruits and vegetables. It's all part of episode 20 of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. So put down your shovel, gather a few cherry tomatoes if you have them, and give us a listen. And we're going to do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Well, we're talking to the garden contrarian, Robert Couric, who has a new publication out called No Digging for a Healthier Soil and a Sustainable Garden. Now, I don't know about how you garden, but every season I like to work in compost and fertilizer, worm castings into the soil using double digging, a time-honored process that uh, first came to my attention decades ago from John Jevons of uh, Ecology Action, who wrote the book, uh, How to Grow More Vegetables. And, of course, we've, we've always talked about uh, digging holes for planting. Well, along comes Robert Couric, author of several books. We'll get into those as well, uh, about how no digging is better for a healthier soil and a sustainable garden. Well, once again, Robert, you're making waves. I uh, first wrote about double digging, I mean, uh, no-till in my 1986 book. Uh, edible landscaping naturally and uh, I've been proposing it to people ever since but now the times have caught up with me and it's getting to be more popular well again what's old is new again because you go back even further than John Jevons in in researching this by uh, quoting the works of Ruth Stout author of how to have a green thumb without an aching back and one book I'm holding in my hand called gardening without work and her basic philosophy was hey just pile some straw on the ground uh, she's the grand dame of, of uh, no-till gardening. But if you read her book carefully, she'll tell you in her book that for 12 years she brought in manure and tilled it in with a tractor. So I think that anybody who's developed their soil for 12 years can probably get away with without having to double dig. You know, the double digging is a great way to get going, and I recommend it for people with strong backs <laughs> early on. But there's no reason to keep doing it. Uh, I know one garden, they've been doing it for almost 30 years every year, and and they don't need to. And it's a lot of work. Yep. Well, what Jevons talks about in Double Digging the way he does it is 
you get down to that open trench and you throw the layers forward. You don't invert. And that's the key to no-till is not inverting the natural strata of bacteria and critters like fungi and actinomycetes and bacteria and algae and all those critters that like the, they prefer the top one to four inches. And if you turn them down under, uh, they start dying. Uh, but the stuff at the bottom that you brought up prefers an- more anaerobic conditions. They start combusting. So in both directions, you're having a death of the biological activity. And it's not only a biological activity that you point out uh, in, in this publication, No Digging for a Healthier Soil and a Sustainable Garden. Uh, you point out uh, that top few inches is also where the plant roots want to go. Yep. And uh, in fact, for people who in other climates, it gets, it's so amazing that on a young spruce tree where it rains in the summer, 64% of the roots are in, above the soil in the duff or mulch, as you call it. And if you don't have that, the top foot of trees is over 50% of the root system. Well, now I feel real good about what I did at the end of uh, the summer vegetable season here, which was to basically uh, take out the expired plants and then just throw my neighbor's oak leaves that had fallen on top of the beds and let them sit there. Great. That's a good way to go. Yeah, they uh, make a great mulch, but they also decompose fairly fast. Uh, and then that way you can prove the soil from the top down. I like to say that nature made, never made soil bending over. <laughs> yeah, it's a fairly natural process. <laughs> it, but it takes patience. It does take time. If you have a heavy clay soil, it can take a fair number of years to get the soil up to snuff. That's why I like to propose double digging for one or two years if you can do it, or single uh, digging for one to five years. And then you get to no-till. But the people that jump right in with no-till in the heavy soil, they have a lot of times a fail- failure. Well, I guess that's why uh, the process of no-digging would work best on, on raised beds. And you go into great detail about that in this publication. Yeah. Yeah, the raised bed is the way I prefer to do uh, vegetables and planting trees uh, on mounds, not uh, in planting holes. And that brings up something I mentioned at the very beginning is <laughs> you're, you're now advocating don't don't dig a hole to plant a, a plant, a shrub or a tree, plant right. it on top. Well, what you do is you take a spading fork and fractions there, not inverting it, but uh, leaning forward and back on a spading fork. So it makes little fractures. And then you take native soil there in the yard and make a mound six to 12 inches high and spread the roots over it and cover it with two to four inches of soil but not burying the base of the trunk and then mulching heavily. And what happens is uh, the roots will grow out of that area faster because you let the top start to dry out in May or June uh, and the roots will tend to follow the moisture and it gets them out of the planting area much quicker. Talk a little bit about this mound. How does it stay together? It seems to me it would fall apart fairly easily. Oh, well, it's a, it's a mound that's pretty subtle. In other words, uh, in my book, I made a mistake in making it look like it's a pimple on the landscape. But I, I do it in reality with a very like six inches high, but two to three feet wide. So it's just a bare, barely a bump. 
Another way you talk about enriching the soil, <laughs> and this really is contrarian, is leave the underground portions of weeds and just use a, a scraper to take off the top portions. Yeah, there's a woman in England who for years had a successful truck farm doing what she called uh, surf cultivation, where you take a, what's called an onion hoe and kind of scrape below the surface one to four inches, and that severs the tops of the of the weeds, um, their crown, and uh, it allows for you to develop soil without inverting it. And she had a successful farm, uh, and on top of that, she never used manures. It's called No Digging for a Healthier Soil and a Sustainable Garden. You don't mind if I call you a garden contrarian, do you? No, that's no problem. (laughs) Because you are. (laughs) It's Robert Couric, and for people who want more information about this, where can they go? They can go to my website, robertcouric.com, K-O-U-R-I-K, or you can Google uh, Edible Landscape Naturally, and you'll get to my webpage. All right, robertcouric.com is the website. And check out his other books that he has there, excellent books about uh, he takes the mystery out of drip irrigation as well as uh, the role that roots play in plants. Yep, I really spend a lot of time with roots. There there you go. It's uh, No Digging for a Healthier Soil and a Sustainable Garden. Robert Couric is the author. Uh, Check it out. Robert, thanks for a few minutes of your time. It was great. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm proud to have Smart Pots as a sponsor of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I like their products. I use their products. I would buy their products again. What exactly, you might be asking, is a Smart Pot? It is the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and it's all made right here in the United States of America. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes, too. They can be reused year after year. Go to their website and check out all that they offer and get a lot more information about Smart Pots. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. They're also available at Amazon.com. And I tell you what, if you visit their website, smartpots.com slash Fred, you can get a nice discount if you buy those Smart Pots on Amazon. Hmm. Check it out. It's smartpots.com slash Fred for your discount on Smart Pots. It's the original award-winning fabric planter made right here in the USA. But wait, we've got more. How would you like to win your own Smart Pot? From now through June 30th, one lucky winner can qualify to receive Smart Pot's six foot long bed. It's a fabric container large enough to hold over 10 cubic feet of soil. It's 16 inches tall, 16 inches wide, six feet long. That's enough room for a couple of tomato plants and a couple of pepper plants or one fantastic display of summer flowers. We'll award the Smart Pot Long Bed to the best comment or review about the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast that you post at the podcast service where you're listening to this show. And by best comment, I don't don't kiss up. I, I don't necessarily mean the kindest comment, just the most creative comment. So when you're done listening to the show, show leave a comment wherever you're listening you just might get yourself the smart pot six foot long bed we'll announce the winner on the july 3rd edition of the garden basics with farmer fred podcast oh you can be kind if you want to 
here on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. We like to answer your questions. I like to bring in the big guns to answer the questions. That would be retired horticultural professor Debbie Flower, college professor for decades. And Debbie, a cat writes in and says they have a rental with a lawn, or at least uh, it used to be a lawn. She says, a couple of years ago, I asked about the lawn of one of our rentals where the landscape guy sprayed the lawn and killed it. Now we have new tenants with kids, and the spring growth of weeds was great, but grass won't grow, even with watering. There is a couple of feet of sod we plopped down. It seems to be growing now. Any thoughts, she asks? Well, one question for Kat would be, what Roundup did she use? What pesticide was used on on her lawn that killed it in the first place? If it was something with the brand name Roundup, it could be uh, many different products. All pesticides, by law, have to have a certain number of things on the label. And the word Roundup is a brand name. And the the brand Roundup has many different chemicals, uh, many different um, useful chemicals uh, that they sell under that brand name. And so when you go to buy the chemical, that you have to know what you want it to do and in what situation. And then you have to read the label to find out if it's going to do that thing for you in that situation. So the Roundup that has been around, I think, the longest is a chemical that says on the label, it's a weed and grass killer and it kills the roots. But there are other Roundups now. And one of them, one, for instance, called Roundup Max Control 365, says on the front of the of the bottle, kills vegetation for up to 12 months. And if you look further down, or sometimes it's on the back, you also find a list of active ingredients. The active ingredient in the Roundup that just kills weed and grass has is glyphosate. The active ingredient on the uh, Roundup Max Control 365 that kills vegetation for up to 12 months has glyphosate in it, but it also has another chemical called imazepic. And imazepic is something we call a pre-emergent. So it, the glyphosate will kill the weeds and kills the grass and kills the roots. But the imazepic, which is a second ingredient in the Roundup Max Control 360, is a pre-emergent and it prevents things from growing. And that's what keeps the kills the vegetation for up to 12 months. It's that additional chemical that's in that bottle. So the word, the the advice to the wise is to read the label, at least read that what's called a statement of general use. Does it just kill weeds and grass, including the roots, or does it kill vegetation for up to 12 months? There's a big difference there. The problem I see is the fact that Roundup is in big print on the front of the label and people uh, going down the aisle and seeing a product called Roundup says, oh, there's some Roundup. I will get that. Not realizing there are now different formulations of Roundup. And they've added another one to their arsenal that is basically a broadleaf weed killer for lawns, too, to add even more confusion. So this is how Roundup is kind of like Kleenex. Yes. Kleenex has become a word meaning facial tissue, but we use Kleenex instead of saying facial tissue. Yes, and Kleenex is a brand. And Kleenex is a brand. Exactly. Just like Roundup is a brand. But if if you said, please pass the Kleenex, somebody could pass you a wet wipe and you would say, (laughs) what's this? This isn't Kleenex. And you would say, yes, it is. It's a Kleenex brand wet wipe. Right. 
So, yes, read and follow all labeled directions. On pesticides. It's so important. And make that fertilizers, too. Let's add a little scenic bypass to this. You okay. used the word pesticides, and a lot of people think, oh, I thought we were talking weeds, not bugs. But the word pesticide is actually a, a, a general all-encompassing term for something that causes death. Yes, anything we consider a pest in the garden. something that, And a pest is something we don't want there. And so, yes, there are insects that we don't want there. There are also insects we do want there. But there are plants we don't want there. Those are weeds, and there are plants that we do want there. In fact, I think there are more uh, chemicals used to control weeds in the garden than there are chemicals uh, or use of chemicals to control other problems in the garden. Weeds are so common and so frequent, we get rid of them, they come back. We get rid of them, they come back. That, that in general, we use more chemicals to control weeds in the garden than we do to control other types of pests. So weeds are considered a pest. And we should point out that when we uh, say the term pesticides, that's inclusive of insecticides, herbicides, of which Roundup is, uh, fungicides, uh, mollicides. Uh, any, did I leave anybody out? <laughs> well, a pesticide, yes, includes an herbicide, which herb is a plant, and aside means killer. Insect is an insect. An aside is a killer, insect killer. So a mollusk is a slug or snail. So uh, fun, fungicide kills fungus. There's bactericides, which mm. kill bacteria. There are all kinds of asides. Mitocides, right. Mitocides yes. are, are basically uh, arachnids or, or spider, eight-legged uh, things that crawl around in the garden. Yes, there are many, many different types of, of pest killers, and they all fall under that category of pesticide. Once again, we've muddled through and maybe solved somebody's problem. But if anything, I think the bottom line we're trying to get across here is read and follow all label directions. Yes. Very important. Debbie Flower, thanks so much for your help. My pleasure. We're talking with Gary Oppenheimer. He's with AmpleHarvest.org. He's the founder. It's a unique nationwide resource that is eliminating the waste of food, the outcome being a reduction in hunger and malnutrition, along with an improved environment. There's something like 42 million Americans who grow food in home gardens, community gardens, and their small farmers as well, who could easily donate their excess harvest to one of over 8,600 registered local food pantries spread across all 50 states. And Gary, I, I want to tell you, first of all, about my uh, experience with your website, ampleharvest.org. There is a page there where you can go and, and find the food pantry nearest you. And I set a search of 15-mile radius around my house. And up popped, I'm counting, 14 food pantries I never knew existed, including one that is within walking distance. And it's amazing how easy it could be for people who have an excess of tomatoes or squash or peppers or melons or fruit, where to take it to and how convenient that is. What was your inspiration, Gary, for starting AppleHarvest.org? That's a great question, actually. Uh, there are two things, of, two pieces of, in, of inspiration. One was I grew up with don't waste food. My grandparents always told me, you know, finish what's on your plate. Kids are starving in Europe. So not wasting food was always inculcated into me. As an adult and a master gardener, I was growing more food than I can use. 
and I struggled to find a place to donate the food to. Um, it turns out I found a battered woman's shelter in my town. I'm in northern New Jersey. But when I had gone on Google to find out where are their food pantries, Google said the nearest one was 25 miles away in another city. And I had an epiphany in March of 2009, and I realized, wait a minute, this is an information problem. This is not a food problem. People aren't hungry because America doesn't have enough food. We actually throw away half the produce, never gets consumed. The problem gardeners across America have always had was myth and missing information. The misinformation was what we were all told at food drives, that you can only donate jars or cans or boxes, but no fresh food. We gardeners took away from that, you can't donate the extra tomatoes. The missing information was where is a food pantry and what's a good day of the week and time of day to donate it. When I realized that this was the information problem, I realized the solution was a, a web-based, an internet-based uh, uh, program that would both educate gardeners about their capacity, that they can indeed donate food, and to where to donate it near them, and the optimum day of the week and time of day. And that timing is super important because if you, if a food pantry, for argument's sake, was distributing food to hungry families on Sunday afternoons, the ideal time for you to bring it in is Sunday morning, which means the ideal time for you to harvest is either sun, sa- Sunday morning or Saturday night. So the food would go from your garden to the food pantry to a hungry family in hours. And the whole thing came together for me in a one four-hour um, session on, on my computer and seven weeks later, with the help of two volunteers, May 18th, 2009, Ample Harvest Dog rolled out. And it's been growing in reach and impact ever since. We're going to be using a couple of terms here that people may get confused. I find it confusing as well. Maybe you can explain it. We will be talking about food banks and food pantries. What is the difference? Oh, this is a fun question. All right. For most of America, for all of America, a food bank is a large industrial warehouse type operation. There are around 200 of them in America. They're part of the Feeding America Network. And these are large warehouses where large amounts of food come in and large amounts of food are then redistributed out to the local programs where hungry families go. Those local programs uh, where hungry families go, there are around 33,500 across America are usually called a food pantry and in some states a food cupboard or food shelf or food closet. Ampleharvest.org is geared to a wide range of gardeners. You've got home gardeners, new gardeners, farmers and food producers, master gardeners, and school gardens. And boy, I'm thinking about food waste and all of a sudden, wow, school gardens. I wonder what they're doing with all that excess food that they're growing in their uh, little school, especially when it may be happening in the summertime and there isn't anybody there to harvest it. School gardens, you're absolutely right. It's also camp gardens, by the way. But a school garden, you've, you've planted the stuff, and then the kids are gone for the summer, and who's harvesting? By the way, as do other places that don't think of themselves as gardens. You might have a golf course that has citrus fruits raining down. You might have a public park, for example. So there's lots and lots of opportunity for food to be donated from different places. The work we're doing is to enable as much wholesome, healthy, fresh locally grown food to get to food pantries as possible because that not only reduces hunger across America, but it also improves the nation's health and well-being. 
Uh, the, the healthier your diet, obviously, the healthier you are. I always believe that the word pharmacy should be spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-Y because uh, healthy, homegrown, fresh farm food is one of the best ways to get your health back. Absolutely. And when you think about two of the leading uh, causes of ill health in America are, are obesity and diabetes, which are both costly in terms of your own well-being and costly in terms of just the medical care involved. Those are both diet-impacted diseases. You improve the diet, you reduce those diseases, you have a healthier and, frankly, by extension, a wealthier nation. One of the categories you have that you're appealing to is called new gardeners, but uh, there's a subset of that that we were talking about before the interview called the accidental gardener, and and they can also uh, participate with ampleharvest.org. Yeah, uh, I wrote a blog article about that earlier this year, the accidental gardener, and people ask, well, what's an accidental gardener? Either you're a gardener or you're not. And I had realized that if you buy a house and the house came with a fruit tree that somebody previously planted, apples, oranges, what have you, you may not think of yourself as a gardener if you don't you know, get your fingers dirty and garden, but the reality is that every year the tree is raining down on you all this wonderful food, the apples and the oranges or what have you. And so I uh, describe that person as the accidental gardener. That person, too, has the opportunity to donate the food. And I also want to give you other, one other number subject to change. You started this with saying there are 42 million gardeners in America. That's pre-COVID. The data we're now seeing from uh, partners in the industry uh, speaks to 58 million people, and it may well be growing higher as millions more people start their own gardens. And I strongly believe that when we get past COVID-19, most of the people who started gardening are going to continue to garden. That means more people gardening and more healthy, fresh food for the hungry families on a permanent basis. Look, one of the things really important, when you grow a garden and I have my own garden, you're growing it for your own enjoyment and for your own family. You should be enjoying that food first. The food, however, that you grow that's in excess of what you can use or preserve or share with friends should never be going to waste. That's the food that should be donated to a local food pantry. And by the way, also the amount of surplus is not terribly important either. Don't feel bad. I only got five tomatoes to donate. Donate your five tomatoes. It'll be commingled with all the other people with five tomatoes and 500 pounds of tomatoes at the table. The important thing is that the food is eaten by somebody and nourishes somebody in the community. It's good for the community. Frankly, it's good for the planet because food waste is a contributing factor to climate change. And it's a wonderful way of people helping their neighbors in need by reaching into their backyards when they can't afford to reach into their back pocket. Today, we are at work, as you had said, in 50 states, in about 4,200 communities. And today, we're approaching 9,000 food pantries, which is about a quarter of America's food pantries, which is great. That means we have three quarters of America's food pantries yet reach, engage, and work with, and work with those surrounding gardeners. So we have a lot of work ahead of us, and your dollars certainly get us uh, a long way towards succeeding on that. If you've got excess food, you know where to go. Ampleharvest.org will aim you to the food pantry nearest you. Gary Oppenheimer is the founder of Ampleharvest.org. Gary, thanks for a few minutes of your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Everybody, please stay safe, and I'll leave you with one final note. Um, in these COVID 
COVID time, we have guidance on the site for the gardener on how to be COVID safe when they're both growing the food for themselves and making the donation of food. So when you come to ampleharvest.org, take a moment, read the couple of bullet points on there. That'll keep you, the food, and the food pantry staff safe so that the good you're doing really is good and and, uh, nobody gets sick. So thank you very, very much. Thanks for listening to Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's available on many podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, and many more. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave a comment or a rating. That helps us decide which garden topics you'd like to see addressed. And again, thank you.